Have your Bibles, if you would, turn to the Gospel of John chapter 14. If you need a Bible, Stuart's got some Bibles in his hand. I'd love to bring you one so you can follow along with us. John chapter 14. Welcome to our two-part series on the rapture of the church. This evening we're going to look at what and why there is this thing called the rapture of the church. And next week we'll look at when the rapture will take place. Now, I'm not going to give you a specific date. No man knows the day or the hour. But in light of recent events, especially within this last week, and I'm convinced that it's very, very soon. In fact, in light of recent events today, I'm convinced that it could be at any moment. If you didn't catch it this afternoon, President Trump officially moved our embassy in Tel Aviv, Israel, to Jerusalem. Man, I mean, I saw his whole speech and the thing that he said, it was absolutely amazing. If you didn't catch it, I mean, YouTube it, get up and see it. I mean, just asserting our allegiance to Israel and recognizing that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Uh, that's very cool. And I'll say this, uh, I'm thrilled that we have a president that is standing up for Israel. He is the most pro-Israel president that we've ever had, I think, in the history of our country. Now, as a result of President Trump's announcement... To move the embassy, President Tayyip Erdogan of Turkey, maybe you heard this, said this, that this move could go as far as breaking off di- diplomatic ties with Israel. A move, he said, would be a red line for Muslims. So things are heating up. Then to top it, off, all, to top it all off, earlier this week, and I don't know if you caught this, we found out that Turkey, Russia, and Iran have officially formed an alliance. A move never before in the history of the world has this happened. Basically setting up the, the stage for the events in Ezekiel 38 and 39. So what does that mean for the U.S.? What does it mean for the Middle East? What does it mean for Israel? What does it mean about the Lord's return and the rapture of the church? Come back next Wednesday and we'll find out. Because <laughs> this evening, we're going to stick to the subject of the rapture of the church and, and, uh, and, and what that's about. And so uh, let's have a word of prayer before we begin. Father, we thank you for this night tonight. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together, Lord, and to open up your word that we can find the truths that you want revealed to our hearts. The things that we can know, Lord, you've given to us in your word. Things that we should know, you've given to us in your word. Help us, Lord, to be good students of your word and learn these things and apply your truths in our lives. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, there have been, over the years, many movies you know, about the, the rapture of the church, the, the tribulation period. You know, the Left Behind series have been very, very popular. You know, the first one I ever saw, this is dating myself, was back in the 70s called The Thief in the Night. And, you know, they had, you could still get it on, catch it on the Internet, you know, and they, they, these, you know, kids, hippies, you know, and, and the way they, it's pretty hokey, but it was, back then it wasn't hokey. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they have a few, uh, clips of, of, you know, I found a few video clips of, of what the rapture may, may take a look, what it might look like. May, I think I've shown this one here before, but I want to show it to you again. Show this clip, Jacob.
Now, I like that video, you know, a little bit. I, I, you know, it, 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 it's all right, but I have a little problem with it because the verse they use to describe the rapture is really not, not correct. There isn't going to be lightning that happens when the rapture takes place, but a shout, a voice, and a trumpet, and we'll see, but, but no lightning. And, and the verse they use describing Jesus' you know, the, the rapture is really Jesus' second coming to the earth, not the rapture. But I do believe that it's going to take many people by surprise just like that. Then I found this video. I call this one the Mission Impossible Superman Rapture. <laughs> because the music in it is very Mission Impossible-like, and then you'll see what I mean by Superman. Take a look at this one. There's the Mission Impossible theme there. (laughs) Now you know why I called it that. (laughs) You know, I'm sure there's many more videos out there. The Left Behind movie had, you know, all the people on an airplane disappearing, but... But let's now look away from those videos and look what the Bible actually says about this thing called the rapture of the church. Two things we're going to see this evening. What is the rapture and why is there this thing called the rapture? Number one, what is the rapture? Well, the rapture refers to a time when Jesus is going to come and without warning take away his church from off the face of the earth. Now, to some, that that may sound a little bit bizarre. To some, if you mention an event like that, they may be going, you know, my life is well, I don't I don't need to be taken out of here. You know, things are good. Others are going, you know, I got my credit card debt up to here, my, my mortgage, I got student loans. Lord, come back right away. Either way, when we look to the word, whether you're hoping for it or not, it clearly lays out this event called the rapture. See, the rapture of the church is a New Testament doctrine found in many different places. Let me just give you three. As I mentioned already, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, and 1 Corinthians 15, 52 through 53. And we're going to look at all three of those places this evening. But you see, it starts with a promise. A promise that Jesus gave to us. He gave to his disciples found in John chapter 14. Look at verses 1 through 3 of John chapter 14. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is saying that he will come again and receive us to himself. Now, he's going to accomplish that in, in one of two ways, either by death or by rapture. That's it. Or as one pastor put it, by rupture or by rapture. And, and you know, I could probably relate to that one. But according to the Bible, the rapture is the time when a billion you know, people or so have suddenly vanished from the face of the earth without a trace. And when this event occurs, these banished people will never again be seen until the Lord returns himself. Now, what will this worldwide phenomenon be like? As I said, there's many movies about it, uh, but for many, they have no idea what it means or what, what the world is going on and, and what's going to bring it about. Now, for Christians, 
we should know. We should be aware of this. Turn now in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. I'm going to read verses 13 through 18. Because Paul here really lays out for us this thing called the rapture of the church in this section of Scripture and, uh, and really tells us how important it is for us to understand it. Starting in verse 13, he says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of, the arch, of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Very first thing we're told by Paul here when it comes to the rapture is, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Brothers and sisters in Christ, believers, Paul is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about the rapture. You need to know about these things. Because the Bible says there is this event called the rapture. Now we read that the church there in Thessalonica, they were having a problem. It says they're concerning those who have fallen asleep. It says, I don't want you to sorrow as if you have no hope. In other words, he wants to give them hope. He wants to enlighten them as to what's going on. That word for fallen asleep refers to the death of the body. For the believer, you know, death is leaving uh, the leaving of this body. It's like laying down for a nap and awaking in glory. It, it's moving, not, not dying. Sadly, the Bible never describes the death of the unbeliever as sleep because there's no rest, peace, or comfort for them in death. But I find it interesting that the early Christians adopted a very wonderful word for the burying place of their loved ones. The Greek word is, is koimiterion, which means a rest house for strangers or a sleeping place. It's the same word we get our English word cemetery from. And the same word that is used today for, for days like, like for inns, what we would call a hotel or a motel, a Hilton or a comfort suite, Holiday Inn Express. The places you go to spend the night and, 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 you know, and sleep and expect to get up the next day and continue on in your journey. This is a place where Paul says, where you, where you bury your believing loved ones. I mean, you're not going to weep when you have a friend goes and spends a weekend at the Hilton, are you? In Hawaii someplace? I mean, it's like, you know, you, you might want weep because you can't go with them, but you rejoice with them. In the same way, the body of the believer has just been put into a motel until the resurrection. One day the Lord is going to come and that body is going to be raised into a new glorified body and the spirit and the soul will join back with the new body. Let me read, look at verse 16 and 18 of a of 1 Thessalonians again, we read, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So I like that it says the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Lord's coming back to get us. He's coming down, you know, you know he's coming to get us. And then it says, with a shout. I like that. That's a, the voice of a, of a command. It reminds me of John, or Revelation chapter 4, where, where it says, come up hither, John says. It's the same voice that, that Jesus used, if you remember, when he stood outside the tomb of, of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. Powerful. 
And I, it's been said that it's a good thing Jesus said Lazarus and not just come forth because all the, everybody out of the graves would have came forward. Powerful. Then we read also it's a voice of an archangel. Indicates either a very powerful voice that Jesus will have or, or Jesus will be accompanied by an archangel. Now the only archangel we know mentioned in the Bible is Michael, although there may be others. Then thirdly we see with the trumpet of God. Now that may indicate that the archangel blows a trumpet or that Jesus' voice is the sound of, of many trumpets. Maybe uh, these are three separate sounds, but they can be taken all together. One spectacular event is about to take place. All the, the, you know, the trumpet, the sound of the archangel, the rapture of the church. What happens next? Verse 17. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, then again, those that have fallen asleep, died, will receive at this point the new resurrected body. The dead in Christ will be resurrected. Their bodies have been asleep. Verse 14 says that. Now again, don't misunderstand this word for sleep. There are those who falsely teach that what is called soul sleep. That when a believer dies, they remain in the casket or the grave until the rapture. But think about this. What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross next to him? He didn't say, you will sleep for a couple thousand years and then you'll be with me in paradise. No, he said, today, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5.8. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So here's what the Bible teaches. At some point in time, and we'll look at when that is next week, the Lord is going to return for His church. The Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. So the spirits of those in heaven already will come down as the, as the dead in Christ will rise and they'll meet and receive their new glorified body at the same time. And we, which are alive and remain, will be caught up to be ever with our Lord in our new bodies. Paul is saying, listen, if you're still alive when the rapture takes place, you're not going to have any advantage over those that have died before you, and they're not going to have any advantage. Uh, you know, they're not, they're not going to miss out, in other words. Because that was what the church of Thessalonica was concerned about, that those that have died, they're going to miss out on the return of the Lord and the rapture of the church. Paul says, calm down. This is how it's all going to work out. He says, you know, you, you know, you're believing loved ones who have fallen asleep, they're going to come back at the rapture of the church and be reunited in their glorified body. Now, Paul did say to live as Christ and to die as gain. And I think, obviously, for all of us, I think I'd much rather be raptured out of here than have to, you know, face death. But, you know, it's totally up to the Lord. Now, there are those who say, well, I have a problem with the rapture. Because I look at, in the Bible, and I don't see anywhere where, where the word rapture is, isn't found in the Bible. And they look and they just can't find it. Well, it all depends on what Bible you're reading and how fluent you are in Latin. See, the Old Testament was originally written in the Greek language, and so in verse 17 in 1 Thessalonians 4, that word caught up is the Greek word harpezo, harpezo and it means to, to seize on or to carry off by force, to claim for oneself eagerly, to snatch away as if by force. Harpezo. Now, when the New Testament was translated uh, from Greek into Latin, uh, into what is called the Latin Vulgate, the word harpezo translated into raptus, and that's where we, where we get our English word rapture from. Now, there are those who say, well, I like to call it the catching up, not the rapture. That's okay. Some say, well, I want to call it arpezo. That's fine. Call it arpezo. You can call it the great snatching away. You can call it what you want. It's not going to change the fact that it's going to happen. It really doesn't matter what you call it as long as you're a part of it. And that's my prayer for all of us this evening. But understand the rapture of the church is different than the second coming of Jesus Christ. That is when Jesus will come back with his church to establish his kingdom upon the earth. 
In the book of Jude, verse 14, Jude speaks of the second coming of Jesus and says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. So we'll be coming back with the church. Zechariah 14, 4-5 speaks of the same thing. Big difference between Jesus coming for his church and Jesus coming back with his church. He'll be coming for his church at the rapture, coming with his church at the second coming of Christ. We're also told in the book of Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You know, the thing that I love the most though, about this event is a part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, where it says, Those that remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Don't you love that? As soon as we're after that, man, we're going to always be with the Lord, never separated again. Now, thankfully, we're not going to be caught up in these old bodies that we have. We're going to receive that new body. As we're, as we're being caught up, as we're being raptured, we're going to be changed. And this takes us to the third place that the rapture is spoken of in the, in the New Testament. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 53. Paul writes in verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this incorruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Now you guys have been going, I've read verse 51 before. That's, Downstairs in the children's in the nursery, it says, we shall all be changed in a moment. But it says here, it's going to be in a twinkling of an eye. As we move out of our tents into our new buildings of God, not made of hands, and new bodies that God has prepared for us. Well, how old will I be? What will I look like? What will my body look like? You know, there are some people that sort of object to the change of their body. They go, I want to kind of look like what I want to look. I want to hang on to, to what, I want to look, what I look like. You know what? I am so looking forward to a new body. I think maybe you guys are too. Anticipating having a full head of hair. I won't have to wear these glasses anymore. I'll be able to hear what people say the first time without them just saying, what, what? See, I don't expect that this body to be resurrected in a refurbished model. The whole idea of a zombie for eternity just doesn't, doesn't fit well for me. It's not good. Because the Bible says that we're going to get a new body, a new model, a building of God not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Verse 53 in the New Living Translation puts it this way. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. So, that is what the rapture of the church is going to accomplish. A snatching away, a time when we'll be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed, caught up together with our loved ones that have gone before us uh, to the Lord, forever be with the Lord, changed you know, in a twinkle of an eye. How fast is a twinkle? Well, it's faster than a blink, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's really, I mean, the, the, the twinkle of an eye is, is really the speed of light, the light that reflects off your eye and, and goes out. That's going to be quick, very, very quick. So we know what the rapture is. But here's the big question, and point number two, why? 
why is there this thing called the rapture? What is the purpose of the rapture? Let me give you two reasons. Number one, to protect God's children. And number two, to shake up the heathen. Number one, to protect God's children. See, we need to understand that just after the rapture of the church takes place, there's going to be this time called the Great Tribulation Period, or the time of Jacob's trouble, where, Christ, where, where, where God pours out his, his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. Now understand this, this, this is a time of God's wrath being poured out upon this world. You, you know, my wrath, your wrath, is very limited to what we, we can do. We're just, we're just one person. But when you have the creator of the universe, the creator of all things, pour out his wrath, Watch out. See, we're told in, in uh, 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. Now, true love demands that there must be judgment for wrongdoing. You know, there have been times that, that, that I'll be out with my wife and kids and we'll hear, you know, maybe someone using filthy language or obscene language. And, and you know, and, and, you know, it's offensive. You know, and there's been times where I've had to say, you know what? Could you please not use that language? I don't want them to continue in, in the presence of my, my family because I love my family. I'm going to say something about it. Because if you love somebody, if you truly care about somebody, you'll not let perversity and wickedness go on. You, 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 love, you love them, you'll defend them. Now God loves His people. He loves His children. The problem is that this, there's evil in this world and terrible sin. Now because God is a God of love, He cannot allow that sin, that iniquity to go on forever. He must judge, even though God is patient. Even though he's long-suffering and full of compassion, it's because of that long-suffering and compassion that he must judge. See, it would be the same way as if some wild dog came and charging into my home and, and he's standing there and his fangs are sticking out and he's foaming at the mouth and, and he's growling and growling. Now, now, what is a loving thing for me to do if my kids are in the other room? Be kind and sympathetic towards the dog? Oh, this poor puppy. Oh, look at the poor thing. I know he's got rabies, but he's probably lost. The poor thing. Let's not get too riled up. I don't think so. I have the responsibility because I love my family to protect my family because my dog, the dog may be rabid. My kids aren't. At least I don't think they are. So I'm going to destroy the dog. Now that will accomplish two things. Because of the love for my family, I'm first of all protecting them by getting them away from the dog and killing the dog. I'm also, by killing the dog, I'm putting the dog out of its misery because that dog is doomed anyway. The dog is doomed anyway. He's already on his way to death. He's already infected. There's no hope for him. See, there's going to come a point when God will look at this world and say, enough is enough. I've been patient with you long enough. Now I must protect my children. That is, those who've embraced him as their father, those who have come into his house, he's going to protect. Those who, who have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you know, he, he's going to protect. But he's going to also pour out judgment on the dead dog, so to speak. This infected, polluted environment that is in the world presently, God must judge because love demands judgment. But again, before judgment comes, he's going to take up his kids. You see, we're told, in, uh, when it comes to God's children, we're told in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I've been asked before, well, who will go up in the rapture? That's an easy question to answer. Christians. Christians. <laughs> If you've been born again into the family of God, if you've trusted Christ for your salvation, surrendered your heart and life to Him through repentance, you're a believer, then you're going to go to heaven. And they will go before the tribulation. God does not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Let me give you another example. If I were going to fumigate my house, you know, they, they come with a big tent and they put it over the whole house because of termites. And the first thing I would do is make sure all of my kids were out of the house. Even if they were being bad, I would still make sure they were all out of the house. 
even if they were being a bit rebellious, I would still make sure they're all out of the house. I wouldn't say, oh, you know, you're my kid, but you know, you're being bad, breathing the fumes. No, no, I wouldn't do that. I'd want to get them out of the house. What if they were fighting with each other? Doesn't matter. I'd sure make sure they're, I would make sure they're out of the house when the tent covered my house to deal with that infestation of termites. I know my family isn't perfect, but I love them anyway. And I would say to each one in my family, come away. I would snatch them away. In the same way, our loving Father isn't going to make us stay in a place where He's pouring out His judgment. Just because we, we may be fighting or because we did something that wasn't pleasing to the Lord at the time of the rapture. I've always said, I don't want to be caught doing something not pleasing to the Lord. I don't want to be caught arguing with my wife when the rapture takes place. And I told you, honey, poof, there before the Lord. I don't want that to happen. But, you know, it's always been the Father's heart when judgment would come that He would remove those from, from the judgment, those that were His, those that were called Him. In fact, Paul writes this in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 4. He says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. We're told in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Now all these things happened to them as examples as they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And I bring up those two verses because we can look back into the Old Testament and see examples, we can see pictures of the rapture, if you would, of, of, of God taking His, those that, that, that belonged to Him, out of the way before judgment would come. Uh, numerous numerous uh, uh, examples. A classic example of this is during the days of Noah. Now the ark, I, I think, is a picture of Israel being protected during the Great Tribulation, but, but Enoch, I believe, is a picture of the rapture. Enoch was removed before the flood came, before judgment came. The Bible says in Genesis 5.24, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Genesis 5.24. That word took means to, to take away, to fetch, to lay hold of deceased, or to snatch away. So just as Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Christians who abide in Christ, please God, and God will take us. Interesting also, from the time God told Noah to enter the ark, until the time when the waters of the flood were on the earth, God granted seven more days for the world to repent. Perhaps a foreshadow of the seven-year tribulation period culminating in the final judgment. Another example of an Old Testament rapture is found in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's day. He and his family were removed before God rained down his judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. God did not just preserve them through his wrath, he removed them prior from the judgment. Jesus said that just before his return, it would be like the days of Noah. He said it would be like the days of Lot. Same thing. Judgment of Sodom could not occur until Lot was removed. Listen to Genesis 19, verse 16 and verse 22. Verse 16. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. The Genesis 19:22. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. In other words, they were forcibly removed from the city prior to judgment, and judgment could not commence until they safely arrived in a new city. Then you have the story of Joseph. Joseph, in many ways, is a type of Christ. Joseph takes a Gentile bride before the seven-year famine begins. But notice in the account of Joseph that after he received his Gentile bride, his brethren, the Israelites, the entire world, suffered a seven-year famine. During that time of famine, many came to Joseph for food. Similarly, after Jesus receives his bride, uh, his brethren, uh, the Jews, and many in the world will turn to the Lord Jesus for, for relief. 
Another example, how about this? Joshua chapter 2 and Rahab and the spies, a type of the rapture. Joshua chapter 2, Rahab trusts the Lord and befriends the Jewish spies. By faith, Rahab puts a scarlet thread in her window, a symbol of Christ's blood, and she and her family are brought out of Jericho before the city is burned with fire. Now think about this. Rahab is a prostitute, Gentile woman, yet she is found in the Messianic line. Therefore, Rahab is a beautiful picture of church as a church as a bride of Christ. Though formerly a prostitute, Rahab by faith was made clean and delivered from God's wrath. And amazingly, in that account, we see again see seven days of warning preceding judgment, God's gracious delay to encourage repentance. Remember, the, 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 the armies of God marched around the city six days, and on the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times, and the city finally was destroyed. How about the Song of Solomon? You going in there too? Yeah, the Song of Solomon is an amazing picture of Christ in this church. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 8 through 13, the bride, or the church, hears the voice of her beloved Jesus coming for her. Then in verse 10 and 13, the bridegroom speaks and calls his bride and says, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Uh, again, a beautiful picture of our marriage and our honeymoon in heaven. One more, Isaiah, actually a couple more. Isaiah 26, verses 20 and 21, gives us the possible picture of the rapture preceding the tribulation. It says there, Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. Isaiah 26, 20 through 21. So apparently the believers are tucked away in heaven before the tribulation falls on the earth. Finally, this is one of my favorites. I like the prophet Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, who really is a type of the Antichrist, you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, Revelation 13 demands, uh, or rather, King Nebuchadnezzar demands that the entire population bow down to his image. And what do you got? You have the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they would not bow down to the image. They were thrown into the fiery furnace, into the fiery tribulation. But where's Daniel? Daniel's no place to be found. Daniel was a ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon, according to Daniel 2.48, yet he's missing from the account. Why? Well, Apparently he was away. Might Daniel be a type of the church as well? Three times Daniel is called greatly beloved. You see, again, we're told in First Thessalonians 5, 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, knowing that God protects his children, and that he's not as pointless to wrath, it doesn't mean that, that we can live however we want to live. All right, I'm a child of God, let's go party. No, okay, God also calls us ambassadors. And it's our responsibility as, as an ambassador of Christ to, to live uh, for Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Now then we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, this world is not our home. We are ambassadors. So next time someone says to you, what planet are you from? You say, well, it's not this one, you know, not here. Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're left here to share the good news of God's love. You're left here to be an ambassador until he takes us home. And as believers, we can enjoy our lives on earth. We can enjoy God's blessings. But we know that there's something better. We know that there's something more. So we're ambassadors. Now what happens to ambassadors when war is about to, to be declared against the country that you're an ambassador to? Before World War II began, Germany and Japan called its ambassadors, called its ambassadors out of the United States before the war began. They're instructed to leave the country because war is about to break out. They're taken out. 
What's going to happen to us as ambassadors of Jesus Christ? The Lord is going to take us ambassadors home. Let's say, come on up before judgment comes. Those of you that have studied prophecy know that in the book of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5, we see Christians around the throne in heaven worshiping the Lord before this judgment that comes down in chapter 6 through 19, the book of Revelation, which is a great tribulation. So why is there a rapture? Number one, because God loves his children. Number two, why is there a rapture? To shake up the heathen. To shake up the heathen. Now, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, Peter's explaining what was happening as the Holy Spirit's moving upon uh, those disciples. And then he quotes Joel chapter 2 uh, about the signs of the end. When the sun will be darkened and the moon turned to blood, signs of the tribulation, signs of what's going to happen in chapters 6 through 19 in the book of Revelation, signs that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24. Peter then says this, In those days, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, there are family members who have listened to the things you've, you've said to them concerning the rapture of the church. Maybe you've even given them a CD. Maybe you've given them years ago a cassette. You know, to, this is the rapture of the church. Maybe they've listened to podcasts about it. Maybe they've, they've, they've read or they've looked at the Left Behind movies and it's all oh, just fiction. I don't believe that stuff. And they're not Christian. They've not opened their hearts to Jesus Christ. Well, the day is coming when suddenly we're going we're gonna to be taken up and out and they're going to be scratching their heads going, what on earth just happened? And they're going to remember your words that you shared to them, the books that you gave them, and they'll say, well, I remember that he said something about this, but I didn't listen. And it's going to shake them up. Why? Because it's going to go from bad to worse very quickly. We know the great tribulation that this man of sin will come on the scene, a man known as the Antichrist that will come and deceive many. And those that have been left behind, those that have missed out on the rapture will begin to see all these things that you've talked about start to happen. And they'll realize that you were right. That old balding guy in that once a night you visited in December was right. And, 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 and they may put their faith and trust in Jesus at that point. They'll be saved but they're not going to be saved from the tribulation period. Saved for heaven, saved from hell, but not from the one world government. Not from a world where you won't be able to buy any food, clothing, gas for your cars, nothing, unless you have this mark on your forehead or this mark on, on your hand that pledges your allegiance to the Antichrist. I mean, here's something that, that, I, that I hope we all know by now, that the tribulation is going to be really, really, really bad. Jesus said it's going to be the worst time ever. Jeremiah Isaiah, Daniel, all shows that it's going to be the worst time ever to hit the planet Earth. A quarter of the Earth's population is going to be decimated. That's pretty bad. In fact, if you look at all the judgments laid out in Revelation, you have the seven seals, then come the seven trumpets and the seven bowl judgments. Listen to some of these judgments that will take place. I'll sum them up for you. In Revelation 8, hell and fire come from the sky. It, it, it falls in the water sources of the Earth, including the rivers and the springs. The grass and the earth, or a lot of it, is burned up, the vegetation. Revelation chapter 9, the bottomless pit is open. Hell, betches, hell belches out its demons in the form of a designer locust that torment people on the earth for several months. Then after we get that, we get the seven bowls, the seven bowl judgments poured out upon the earth. Chapter 16, sores all over the people's bodies. Water sources are poisoned. The sun scorches people on the earth. Hell comes down out of the sky, out of heaven. Not like the hell we get in Missouri, you know, that can be quite large, even a baseball or softball-sized hell. During the Great Tribulation period, bowling ball-sized hell. 100-pound hailstones. Could you imagine that? Huge. So there's smoke, there's fire, there's heat, there's lightning, there's darkness, there's beasts falling from the falling stars, the, the bottomless pit is open, the devil and his angels are extremely active. I mean, that's really, really bad. 
Sounds like a plot in a Marvel movie or something. I don't know. Just one thing happened right after another. Because of the tribulation period will be a period of divine reckoning where God shows that he's supreme over nature and over the nations. We also know that it's going to be a demonic time of troublemaking. Satan will take advantage of this pandemonium and the confusion on the earth and his demon hordes will be very, very active. So it's a, a, a time of divine reckoning and demonic troublemaking. But thirdly, because of your witness upon the earth, I believe that the great tribulation is going to be a time of spiritual outpouring, spiritual awakening like never before. And you need to know that this is the heart of God. It's not God's heart to judge. It's God's heart to save. What did Peter say? God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So his merciful heart is to reach out to people even in the worst time, even the worst time of their life. That's his mercy. That's his long-suffering. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, He says, he desires all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. But even during the great tribulation, the gospel is going to go forth like never before. And we say, well, who's going to preach it? If all the Christians are out of here, who's going to be preaching the gospel? I'm glad you asked. Number one, there'll be two witnesses that are introduced in Revelation chapter 11. Some people guess the identity of these two witnesses. Unimportant. What you need to know is these two witnesses Two witnesses, rather, come to Israel. They come to the city of Jerusalem. And not only do they have a message, but they can do miraculous works. They will get people's attention. The Bible says the whole world will be watching them. That was never possible until the last 100 years with the invention of the satellite television. 50 years, really. John, in the book of Revelation, made that prediction 2,000 years ago. The world will be watching them at one time. So there will be two witnesses in Jerusalem doing miraculous works, uh, preaching the gospel, number one. Number two, there's going to be 144,000 Jewish evangelists unleashed on the earth. We know that. And then number three, there's going to be this angel flying in the atmosphere of the earth, around the earth, preaching the gospel. So all the church church hasn't been able to do for 2,000 years, the angel will do in a couple days. Listen to what Revelation 14, 6-7 says. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Could you imagine this angel going, finally, I get to share the gospel. And just, just the, the joy of that angel going, listen to you know, the, the gospel of the Lord. So God's salvation will be on display at the most unexpected time. There's going to be this great news in the midst of bad news, and people will get saved. Here's my point again. I believe after the rapture, there's going to be the greatest revival in the world history. Once, once millions of people vanish, the ones left behind will say, whoa, it was true. Lord, I need you. And there are those who say, well, I'll just wait until the rapture takes place. And, and when I see you guys disappear, and this Antichrist guy shows up and tells me I have to take the mark, then I'll become a believer. Then I'll put my trust in Jesus Christ. You might want to think that through a minute, because you can choose at that time to become a Christian and call upon the Lord then and refuse to take the mark of the beast. But more than likely, it's going to cost you your head. It'll cost you your life. A miserable time to live. But the bottom line is this. If you can't live for Jesus Christ now, what makes you think you can die for Jesus Christ later? If you, if you can't stand up and receive Jesus Christ in this day of grace, what makes you think you'll be able to stay at that time under intense persecution in the middle of the tribulation while I'll get saved then? Very dangerous game of Russian roulette. That's why the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. All that to say, listen folks, Jesus came to this earth to die for our sins. To die on the cross. 
He took upon our sin upon himself so that by believing in him, trusting him, repenting of our sins, we can be saved. We can have eternal life saved from this wrath to come. We can be raptured out of here. And if you're here this evening, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I, I would encourage you, don't wait any longer. Give your life to him today. Because let me tell you, the Lord could come back at any moment. It could be right now. It could be right now. Maybe if I stand over here, it could be right now. Listen, it could be at any moment. And we'll look at next week as we close, we'll look at next week when the rapture will take place. Not a specific date. But the signs that are there to show us how close we are. And, and, I, I, and I tell you, folks, I, I've been blown away this past week as I've been watching the news and watching these signs. I've been, you know, I've been in my office. I've been on the Internet. I've been running into Elisa. Did you just see this? And then, yeah, I saw that. And then come back. And, Did you just hear this? And come back and say, it's amazing. Because I do believe that the Lord's return is very, very near. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it, it clearly lays out for us, Lord. As believers, you have not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, that, that the rapture of the church will take us out of this place before the great tribulation period. Now, that doesn't promise, Lord, we understand that we're not going to go through tribulation. We're not going to go through trials and struggles. Times may get really, really difficult, Lord. But we know when times get difficult, that's even more the more opportunity for us to shine your light in the face of those struggles and times. Lord, we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray, Lord, uh, over this decision to move our embassy to Jerusalem, Lord, that there would not be the violence that uh, seems to be being promoted at this point. Lord, there would be a peaceful uh, transition during this time, Lord. We recognize, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose for Israel and for the Jewish people. Lord, that even through this, Lord, that many of the Jewish people would be saved and come to saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for our salvation, the gift that it is for opening up our eyes to see our need for you. Now we ask your blessing upon our, our, our time tonight, Lord, as we go our way home, as we fellowship together afterwards. You just bless our time. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.